This is Susanna Hills Podcast. We hope this message becomes a revelation in your heart and will encourage you to live a Christ-centered life. Thanks for checking out our podcast. Here's today's message. Hello, everyone. The lights are in my eyes, so I can't see how scary you look. <laughs> yeah, so as Ansi said, I'm Colette. I'm married to Craig, who spoke last night. I have two kids. My son is 20 and my daughter is 17. And we've been married for 26 years. And I was a baby when we got married, so there we go. <laughs> quick, quick little, that's who I am. But uh, something you don't know about me is that I was chronically, chronically shy as a child. Uh, still am a bit, so this is quite intimidating. But um, as a child, I, I was the one that when a teacher asked me to take something to another classroom, I'd like go to the teacher and I couldn't, actually the words wouldn't even come out of my, my mouth. And so... I have a history of knowing that God can change you and make you into who he intended you to be at the beginning. So today I am speaking to you ladies about being beautifully broken. God's story, your story. And I am a firm believer that God intertwines his story with ours if we let him. And so I don't know about you, I'm I'm quite a reader and I do have a flaw. And my flaw is that when I start reading a book, I cannot stop until it's ended. And so uh, no matter how boring it is, how terrible it is, it's the same with a movie. Within five minutes, I know I either have to keep watching or stop watching, because otherwise I'll sit until the very end. The other day, I I happened to watch a zombie movie, which I never, ever do. And uh, yeah, I realized that was a very bad, see, we're confessing sins, yeah, I see. All right, let me get back to to the topic. So novels and stories. So everyone has a story. And so sometimes what we do with the story of our lives is we stop it almost halfway and we put it down and we don't read it to the end. And so we can look at ourselves, we can compare ourselves to other stories, to even to who we wish we were. Um, and if only this didn't happen or, or that happened this way, I would, my story would be so much better. And we stop the story there. But this morning I want to encourage you that for our stories, we actually need to read to the end. And the end of the story is us face to face with Jesus, just glorifying him forever and ever. But we can stop halfway and say, well, this is who I am. I can't change. I can't be new. God can't use me. I can't stand up and dance. I can't give a prophetic word. I can't stand and talk in front of people. I can't do this at work. I can't actually change science um, because it's just little old me. And so our lives are a story to those around us. So the question I'm going to ask you today is, what is your story? Who has God created you to be? And how do you live out that story? If you're talking about Gerda's uh, life, and that's often in my life how I've felt is like the invisible woman. We went into ministry at a very uh, young age, and so my job description from the early 20s was a pastor's wife. Now, imagine that. You come to write out your application form. What is your occupation? Someone's wife. (laughs) You're never your own person. And so I had to learn from early on 
where do I get my identity to, from? Who am I? What has God called me, Colette, as a unique person, aside from a pastor's wife? Who am I? Um, and so I have been that invisible woman. And so I want to ask you the question is, have you ever felt that your story is one that's not worth telling? That it's too short, it's too unremarkable, too damaged, or that you have too many things to hide? that the social media or the photos and the contents carefully screened and edited are the only part of your story that you can bear for others to see. This morning as I talk, I'm trusting God that you will learn that you can be resilient in the face of pain, that you are purposed to take what God has given you and to do something with it. So at home in my lounge, I've got a, a china cabinet. I think we'll throw up a picture of a china cabinet there. And it's not as pretty as this one, I have to confess. But in it, I have all my precious stuff. Now, the rule in my house is, number one, every dish has to be able to go in the dishwasher. If it can't go in the dishwasher, I don't want it in my house. The second thing is it has to have a purpose. And that's just me. I'm, I'm not a frilly person. I do like pretty, and so if it's not pretty, I mean, pretty can be a purpose too. And so if it doesn't have a purpose, then I don't want it in my house. So I'd made this china bowl, and I'd hand-painted it, and I really loved it. It was part of a, a set, and a friend, she's still a friend, just broke it. And uh, I was quite devastated. But at the time, I was going through something in my life that was actually, it, it had broken me. It wasn't just a, you, you chipped in a few little places. This was down on the ground, shattered kind of stuff. And it just happened to be that it was pain that had come from within the church, um, which is, I think it's, it's worse than pain that comes from people outside of the, it was just shattered and there was just, I was just in pieces. And so I, had, I kept pieces of this pottery until a dear gardener decided they were rubbish and threw them away. And I kept them as a reminder of how God uses our brokenness. And it's sometimes these pieces we want to hide away from him. And yet God, in all his glory, wants to use those broken pieces for his glory. And so at church we've been doing a renovation it's uh, been a year long, and we've kind of done it at the speed of cash, which is a great concept. It means you don't take a loan out to do your renovations. It means you pay cash for everything. And it's great, except it's extremely frustrating because it's very slow. So as money comes in, you do the next little bit anyway. Our ladies' bathroom I kept for the bottom of the list because I knew I wanted it to be a special place. And so I love decor, I love making feel, people feel at home. And so what I wanted for our ladies, because a ladies' bathroom at church can sometimes be a place of escape. You need a little bit of a moment, there's too many people, so you just quietly go and just catch your breath. So I wanted our bathroom to, for the ladies to walk in, to feel this is peaceful, I can breathe, it's calm, and a place filled with grace. And so that's the whole concept we've decorated with. I know it's a very long involved decorating story, but yes, 
that's what we, um, I haven't got to install yet. We're busy with the art installation of a whole lot of different broken plates. And I'm gonna show you uh, a little bit about this artwork later. But I wanted it a reminder for ladies that as they walk in, that God's grace covers your brokenness and brings healing. And so I'm gonna show you something here. Let me get back to my notes first. So let's start at the beginning of our stories because we often judge ourselves for what our story has become, but not who God created you to be. And so Psalm 139, a very well-known one. I'm going to be reading the first few verses from the Passion Translation. And it says, I thank you, God, for making me so mysteriously complex. Everything you do is marvelously breathtaking. It simply amazes me to think about it. How thoroughly you know me, Lord. You even formed every bone in my body when you created me in the secret place. Carefully, skillfully, you shaped me from nothing to something. Isaiah 64 verse 8 says, Yet you, Lord, are our Father. We are the clay, you are the potter, and we are the work of your hand. Romans 1 verse 21 starts with these words. It says, Throughout his human history, the fingerprints of God were upon them. Let's just think of this. The fingerprints of God are on your lives. Psalm 51, 17 says, The fountain of your pleasure is found in the sacrifice of my shattered heart before you. You will not despise my tenderness as I humbly bow down at your feet. And the key word in that scripture is the word sacrifice is brokenness does come through life, but it's what do we do with the broken pieces? Do we give them to God, or do we keep them hidden from everyone? Jeremiah 20, 18, verse 1 to 6 says, This is the word that came to Jeremiah from the Lord. Go down to the potter's house, and there I will give you my message. So I went down to the potter's house, and I saw him working at the wheel. But the pot he was shaping from the clay was marred in his hands, so the potter formed it into another pot, shaping it as it seemed best to him. Then the words of the Lord came to me, and he said, Can I not do with you, Israel, as this potter does, declares the Lord. Like clay in the hands of the potter, so you are in my hands, in my hand, Israel. And so we begin our lives as Someone who has been created in our mother's wombs. Someone perfer, perfect, without spot, blemish, perfect, different to each other, and yet no flaw. See, this is a, at home. See, at home is a very good store, so you know how beautiful you are. <laughs> and you'll see my reasoning now. It's a white plate. It's clean, no flaw. Heda, can you come help me here? I just need you to hold the mic while I get action shots going here. Thank you. So what happens through life, and I'm gonna protect your lovely carpet here, is we take our perfectness. I've, I kept my little uh, hospice sticker, six strand sticker, and on purpose is sometimes we keep the labels that some people have put on us, the, the, the worth people have put on us. And what happens 
is Laugh Comes Along. Siama, I'm a handy chickie. And the knocks of laugh can shatter us. And maybe it's your childhood and a teacher says something to you. Oh, I'll have to go harder than that one. And you break a little bit. Maybe it's something that happened to any children and it breaks you. Maybe as your life goes on, you get married and you get divorced and you come to church and you get hurt by the church or you're a church leader and you get hurt by the people in the church. And this goes on and on and on until you're a whole lot of little pieces hidden away in a bag that you're hiding from everyone to see. If we let him, and he does something with him, something beautiful, all the pieces of our shattered hearts, the pieces that we hide away from people, the, the darkness, the sin, the things that we don't want to expose, the, the not carefully edited, edited photos of our lives, and we hide them away. But if we bring them to God, they can become something beautiful. There's an art form in, in Japan, and please excuse my pronunciation, Kitsigu. Kitsigu, if you just say it fast, then it, it, it sounds right. And this is the Japanese art of putting broken pottery pieces together, back together with gold. It's become quite popular over the last couple of years, so you may have seen it out and about quite a bit. But as a philosophy, it treats breakage and repair as part of the history of an object rather than something to disguise. And so these are some of the plates that I've made for our art wall that we're going to have in our bathroom. And uh, excuse me that you can't see it too well. But what it is, is it's repaired with gold. And that's what God does, is he takes all our brokenness and he repairs it. And instead of us hiding away and trying to be perfect and look perfect, instead it becomes something of beauty that we can wear for his glory. And how he does that is by soaking us in his spirit. So we can wear our scars as medals. And so I am going to be looking at a few different stories this morning. The first one we're going to look at Eve. Now it's very easy to read our Bibles and just these long passages and forget that these are a real life woman who lived and breathed, had fears like us, uh, messed up like we do. And so we're going to look at a bit of that. Gen you can read Eve's story in Genesis. I think most of us know her story and so I'm not going to read it for you. So we'll just look at a snapshot of who she was. So Eve was the original bad girl in the Bible. She's the one we all love to hate. And uh, a close-up of her, her life was she was actually really, really, really formed by the hand of God. So we know that the scripture tells us that Adam went to sleep and God actually formed woman out of his rib out of the side of Adam. And so she's fashioned by the hand of God. Talk about the fingerprints of hand on her life. And that is our, where we come from, ladies. Her name Eve literally means life giver. 
her greatest accomplishments, and don't feel too bad about yourself when you hear this, but her the greatest accomplishment was that she is the mother of all people except for Adam. She's the most beautiful woman who ever lived. Now, how can I say that with all our changes and uh, how we told we too light, too dark, too big, too small, too whatever? She was made by God's hands. There was no imperfection in the world. She was physically perfect. Whatever that was, she was physically flawless. There was nothing that was flawed in, in her. She had the perfect marriage relationship. There was no competition between the sexes as God had intended. There was no inequality. There was no need to establish superiority. She had the stress. There was no baggage. There was no obstacles to lay between the first couple and God. More than that, she had the perfect relationship with God. We know if we read Genesis, you'll recognize this as I say it, but the scriptures say she walked daily with God in the garden. But as we know, there's a part to the story, to the story and what happened, it's called the fall. She uh, listened to someone who was telling her some things that she shouldn't have listened to. And what the serpent did, let me read it for you. He said this in Genesis 3.1. He said, Now the serpent, the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. He said that to the woman, Did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? And so someone came and whispered in her ear, and doubt was sowed. And I don't know that Eve's intentions were evil when she took that apple or the fruit and ate it from the tree of knowledge. You can even wonder, was she trying to help God out a little? You know, maybe if I know more, I can like be there more. We don't know what her intentions were. But we do know that her disobedience uh, called the fall resulted in all the things that make our lives so delightful these days. The man being over woman. And so after the fall, we see, this is, okay, picture this. So this is the story. So Adam and Eve are now, they've been naked their whole lives, just swanning around, life is good. And suddenly they take a bite and they realize, suddenly realize shame. And so straight after the, the, the fall comes shame. And that's one of the key things that we as women can feel as well, is shame. After that, the blame game starts. He said, she said, Eve is blaming the serpent, Adam's blaming Eve, so the perfect harmony and discord out the window. They hide from God. Um, the scriptures say they hid in a bush to hide from God as if he didn't know what had happened. And it, their sin created a barrier between Eve and the Lord. So the result was that instead of contentment and perfection, they get shame and distance from God. We're going to come back to Eve's story in a little bit, but right now I want to swap over to slightly more modern times, the Samaritan woman. She's in the New Testament, and we're going to read that together. So you can turn with me to John 4, verse 6 to 46. And 
Let's read it together. So Jacob's well was there, and Jesus tired as he was at noon. And when a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said, said to her, Will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into the town to buy food. And the Samaritan woman said to him, You are a Jew, and I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate. He said, If you knew the gift of God, who it was that asked me for a drink, you would have asked him, and he would give you living water. Sir, the woman said, you have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. Where can we get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us the well and drank from it himself, as he did also his sons and his livestock? And Jesus answered, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw the water. And he told her, Go call your husband and come back. I have no husband, she replied. Jesus said to her, You are right when you say you have no husband. The fact is, you have had five husbands, and the man you now have is not your husband. What have you, you have said is quite true. So, the woman said, Jesus worshipped on this mountain, but you Jews claim that the place we must worship is in Jerusalem. Woman, Jesus replied, believe me, a time is coming when you worship the Father, neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans do know, for salvation comes from the Jews. Yet a time is coming and has now come when the true worshippers will worship the Father in the spirit and in truth, for they are the kind of worshippers the Father seeks. As God, God is spirit and his worshippers must worship him in the spirit and truth. And the woman said, I know that Messiah called Christ is coming. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. And then just skipping down to verse 28. Um, so what happens is Jesus then says, I am, I am he. And then it says, then leaving her water jar, the, water, the woman went back to the town and said to the people, come see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Messiah? They came out of the town and made their way toward him. And many of the Samaritans from that town believed in him because of this woman's testimony. He told me everything I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they urged him to stay with them, and he stayed two days. And because of his words, many more became believed just because of what you said. Now we have heard ourselves, and we know that this man really is the, Messiah, the Savior of the world. talking about water. And so I think what we often, a lengthy passage like that, it just can become like words, someone in a book, not really, you, we can forget, okay, let's put ourselves in that time, in that place, what really was the story about? So let's look at the Samaritan woman. So first of all, she's found it at the well, and what the, the passage takes, um, pains to tell us and set the scene is one that she was a Samaritan woman. Samaritans and Jews did not mix. 
Firstly, because they believed different things. The Samaritans had come to Jerusalem and brought a lot of their religion and kind of mixed everything together. So for Jews and Samaritans to actually mix was a big no-no. So, and then the other thing the scriptures say is that she was found at noon to the well. Now, what, what would happen in those times? Well, the daily water, but what they would do is they would go early in the morning as almost like a clan, like all the gossip would happen and, and women getting together, and that would be the early morning kind of this is what you do. So the fact that the scriptures actually tell us that it was noon, the hottest hottest spot as well. So it's one of those sweltering hot days. When noon comes around, we don't want to be doing anything heavy and physical. And yet that's the time she chooses to be at the well. The well, the scriptures also don't tell us that there were a lot of um, other people at the well, just Jesus and her. And so it's telling that she wasn't with the woman. Uh, And it probably tells us a bit about her life and that she was a bit ostracized from the other woman in in her town and rejected. Then the biggest thing is that Jesus actually sees her first of all, but then speaks to her. There's this thing in, in the Hebrew culture and particularly as a Pharisee and then as a rabbi, you would have been taught, it's again, excuse the pronunciation, it's called Yida. Oh, sorry, Nida. And basically what it means is you would have been taught as a Pharisee or as a rabbi that a Samaritan woman is contaminated from birth. And so from birth, a Jew would have nothing to do with you. Probably wouldn't even, as the Pharisees go, look at you because the fear of being contaminated from you. And so that's something to also keep in mind. The fact that Jesus actually spoke to her and saw her was an amazing thing and it gave her so much identity. And then Jesus goes and talks about himself being living water. And why that is so amazing is because we know that one of the pictures of the Holy Spirit in the Bible is as water. And it's a picture of how he cleanses us and sustains us. And so he's at the well and he's using just what he's got in his hand as an illustration. He's talking about himself as this water. But the important thing to know is that he comes and he, with his words, is washing her and giving new life and new purpose to what her life has become. Then he tells her that he's the Messiah. And don't miss this point. She's a woman. Throughout the history, women have been downtrodden. We still live under this a little bit, although we are trying to rise up all the time. But through history, the women were told, keep quiet, you'd have no say, you get your um, standing in society from your husband, from your children, um, everything like that. And yet God is revealing who he is to a woman. Let's back up a little about why does God speak about the men in her life? Was it to show her that he was a prophet? No, because he actually said, no, I'm not a prophet, I'm God. And so it wasn't just to tell her and get her attention. It was to say, actually, 
I know where you've been. I know who you are. Yet, here is who you could be. So where our minds can go with this, and this is all, so you can quote me if you want, but say Colette said, don't say the Bible said. But I start wondering, in that society, you got married and your husband gave you your status. And so I start wondering about her, her first husband. What happened at that point in her life that she then moved on to number two, three, four, five, and so on? What happened with the first husband? Did he die? Did he abuse her? Did, <laughs> did, was she back because he had no children? And so he left her for someone else, and then she moved on to the next one. I just start wondering about this lady who was ostracized by her society, when I start thinking, well, so many men, like, even if the first has the family to look after her. And so when you see that she's had so many men and husbands, like, you start wondering, well, why didn't the family look after her? Why did no one want her? Why was she separated? Like, what got her to the point in her life that she did have so many men, particularly in that society, it would have been a huge no-no, huge no-no. And so it's these things that we can like wonder in our minds about, like how did she get to her there in her life? And yet Jesus knew and he looked at her and he said, you have got a purpose, you have got an identity. It wasn't a mistake that Jesus revealed to a woman that he was Messiah, one of the first times he did. It wasn't to a man, it was to a woman. The identity that he is correcting, these years of history saying, actually, society might have labeled you, <laughs> but I don't. And so when God is fixing our plates and he's gluing us together and making something beautiful out of what is broken, God does things in our lives. And the first thing I'm going to look at this morning is that God sees us. And when he looked at the Samaritan woman, he saw someone of worth, he saw someone with a purpose, and he saw someone who actually did not need to be defined by her history. He saw her as he had intended her to be, whole and beautiful, and not the broken pieces. You know, sometimes what we can do is we can take all the broken pieces of our lives and we can hide them away in a dark place, but the outside looks beautiful. And this is what people see. And it's very easy to compare ourselves and our stories to other people's stories when we're just seeing the outside. But you know what the problem with this hiding our way, our little bits and pieces away from each other, is that we may have done it for good reasons. Maybe we needed to feel like we were, if we didn't actually build a wall or protect ourselves some way, that um, we wouldn't cope. And so we build these walls, we build this protection. Maybe we just have, like Eve, the shame that we are just shamed of where we are in our lives, what we've done. The problem with this boundary that comes between 
us and people is it also comes between us and God. And when there's something blocking this, the pieces of God in our lives is God actually can't make something beautiful of what's inside. The healing can't come. We're still broken inside, even though on the outside it looks beautiful. And what we want to become is something that is beautiful, even with the flaws. Second thing God does for us is He gives us identity. Now, every story needs a main character, and in your story, guess who's the main character? You are. For Eve, in her story, she is an amazing, amazing woman. And she could have let the sin, her sin and failure, be her identity. Instead, as you read on in Genesis, you can see that she actually, identity becomes one of hope and restoration. And I will um, go into that in the next point. For you and your story, who did God create you to be? Now, who be? Who did God create you to be? Remember Psalm 139, where we are carefully and skillfully shaped from nothing to something, that we are made in the image of God. See, our third point is that God gives us purpose. Now, the legacy of Eve, what we've been taught in Sunday school, is that her legacy is one of sin and of despair. What we never continue to look at is her legacy is also one of salvation and hope. You see, because Eve never gave up on God, even when she was cast out of the garden. And very importantly, God never gave up on Adam and Eve, even when there was a barrier between him, between him and them. We can see this in that we see that, they, that as we read on, Eve still communicates with God. She's still, you hear of conversations that have been happening with God. You can also see in her children's lives how they communicate with God. And you can see that God never left them. By their nakedness, God didn't turn his back on them. Instead, he clothed them. The word speaks about him um, making the first blood sacrificing and making, I like leather, sorry vegans, but making uh, leather clothes for them. And so you can see God is committed to his people even when they mess up, when we mess up. He never stops loving, he never stops being there for us. See, Eve could so very easily have given up on life. She could have given up, given into the feelings of shame. Just pause for a minute and think on, on this. Every fight that you have with your husband, you know it's my fault. Every time you're not in this perfect home anymore, you're in another place, it's my fault. Listen to this one. Your son kills your other son. As a mother, you know it was my mistake that made this happen. And so she lived with the shame on her shoulders. And yet her legacy is one of salvation and hope because God actually 
brought about Jesus through her line, and that's something that he had actually promised her, that her seed would be the seed of salvation, who we now know is Jesus. And you can see in this one, Lord, and she never gave up on trusting Jesus and his word, God and his word. The woman at the well, the Samaritan woman, who doesn't even have a name, Let's, that's also important in the scriptures. She doesn't, she's never even named other than the Samaritan woman. But think of how God used her. So think on this question. So she goes back to her town, an ostracized woman. What made the people in that town listen to her enough to actually come and hear what Jesus had to say? There had to be some change in her after that experience with Jesus. She had to have come back changed, an ostracized woman, <laughs> someone people didn't hang out with. There had to be something different to her, that God had put a purpose in her life, that people actually listened to her. And because of her obedience and going speaking about Jesus, actually changed the whole town. And so for you, what is your purpose? What is, why are you here, one of us? If he hasn't, you wouldn't have been born. There is a purpose for you. The French talk about a raison d'etre. It means the reason for being. And um, each one of us have a reason for being. You know, in a vessel, the value does not come in the actual vessel, but it comes in what's inside the vessel. So if you think, if you're a coffee drinker, it's not so much about the cup, although the cup is important. It's about the drink that's inside. And so we are just vessels that are, have been created by God. We're in his hands for a purpose. It's the value of, of God inside of us that makes us so valuable. And so often we can look at our vessels and we can say, oh, they're flawed, they're marred, they're cracked, they're broken, we're not worth anything. And yet we forget that the worth comes from God himself being in us. And that's such an important thing to remember, is that our value is entwined with God himself. His fingerprints is what brings us our value. So don't give up on your purpose in life. And even if you've lost sight or don't know what it is, God knows. And if you don't know, then just go back to the start. Love people, love God, love people, and work that out. And let me just insert this. Let me remind you that we're not just here for ourselves. We're not just here to be better people, to be the best version of ourselves, whatever the latest lingo is. It's not just for me. It's not just for my family. It's for the person who sits next to you in church. It's for the person who sits next to you in your office or who you work with or uh, works with you. It's for the strangers in the streets. It's for... <laughs> the nations out of there, it's for bigger than just here. And in your brokenness, turn to God for your identity and purpose and trust what he says about you, his word, and not the whispers that come into your ears and into your lives. The last point I'm gonna talk about is being empowered. 
and not woman empowerment. As much as I love the sisterhood and, and woman empowerment, it's, it's a bad replica of what God wants to do in our lives. <laughs> Being empowered means that flaws and all, God uses us. Remember, where the breakage and repair is part of the history of an object rather than something to disguise. And so my story, my testimony is, is that I don't have a salvation story. I don't have, this is where Jesus met me. I remember growing up as a little girl, praying, loving Jesus, all of this, but I don't remember an occasion where he came into my heart as the year of school being in youth and going to a youth meeting. And there, there was someone talking on the Holy Spirit and being baptized in the Holy Spirit. And at that moment, my life was changed completely. It was no going back, no if, whys, buts. It was, I'm sold out for Jesus for the, his word, for who he is, and there's no going back to another way of life. The Holy Spirit empowers us. Some pictures of the Holy Spirit that the Bible speaks about shows us a couple of pictures of who he is. It shows us that he's a wind who is sovereign and powerful. Sovereign means that he is king over everything. He's bigger than whatever happened in your life. And I know it can be sensitive, and I know the pain can be crushing and destroying, and I'm not minimizing that, but Jesus is bigger. The Holy Spirit, another picture for him is that fire where he refines and he destroys. He destroys that which is not of him. His water cleansing and sustaining. He's the dove which is a picture of peace and gentleness. He is the oil, which are scary places. I'm going to finish off by reading a scripture, and Chad is going to come up and share a, a, a picture that we had. And let me just tell you who Chada is. So Chada and her husband Andrew are deacons in our church, but she has a real gift of prophecy, and I can honestly say, when she sees pictures, I listen, because uh, it's generally spot on. But Ephesians 3, verse 14 to 21 says this, So I kneel humbly in all before the Father of our Lord Jesus, the Messiah, the perfect Father of every father and child in heaven and on earth. And I pray that he would unveil within you the unlimited riches of glory and favor until supernatural strength floods your inmost being with this divine might and explosive power. Let this be a prayer that just soaks into your spirit. Then by constantly using your faith, the life of Christ will be released deep inside you and the resting place of his love will become the very source empowered to discover that what every holy washing love of Christ in all its dimensions, how deeply intimate and far-reaching is his love, how enduring and inclusive it is. Endless love beyond measurement that transcends our understanding, this extravagant love 
pours into you until you are filled to overflowing with the fullness of God. Never doubt God's mighty power to work in you and accomplish all this. He will achieve infinitely more than your greatest request, your most unbelievable dream, and exceed your wildest imagination. He will outdo them all, for his miraculous power constantly energizes you. Now we offer up to God all the glorious praise that rises from every church in every generation through Jesus Christ and all that will yet be manifest through time and eternity. Amen. Thanks for joining us for today's message. Don't forget to check out our website or visit City on a Hill International on Instagram or Facebook for our updates, celebration times or ways you can get involved. We are also streaming our message on Facebook Live, so make sure you join us or share the post. Thanks again for checking out our podcast. We'll see you soon.